0: Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured, not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Hey, it's Will Friedle.
1: And Sabrina Bryan.
2: And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind.
1: You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter.
2: And the Cheetah Girls movies.
1: Together we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So
2: kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by
3: State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call.
4: Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Welcome in. Outkick the show. I teased yesterday we were going to have a special guest, and he is with me here in my hometown of Nashville. He is Florida Governor Ron DeSantis running for the Republican nomination. Has done a heck of a job so far as governor. We've had him on a bunch of times over the years on the shows now. And I want to start, we're going to get into a bunch of different cool topics, but I want to start with this. I was just in Cooperstown, New York, Uh, my 12-year-old, is playing in a tournament there, over 20 fields. I know you did Little League Baseball. You played in Williamsport. It was awesome. All my 8-year-old wanted to do, because the 12-year-old stay in bunks, all my 8-year-old wanted to do was go buy baseball cards. And so not surprisingly, everywhere in Cooperstown sells baseball cards. <laughs> and I know like you are a lifelong, long-time uh, baseball fan. I bet also you loved baseball cards yeah. back in the day. So, so have you gotten to share baseball cards at all with your kids? I know the campaign did baseball <coughs> cards. Uh, have you shared it with your kids yet? Are they interested? And when you go back in time and think about when you were a kid, what was your favorite baseball card set? What was your favorite baseball cards? What do you remember about that?
5: So I was born in 1978. I started collecting in probably 83, 84. Yep. So you had like the, the Don Mattingly oh, rookie, you know, yep. and the, the Tops. And Don Russ, you had the Wade Boggs, yep. 83 uh, Cal Ripken was, I guess the year before. And then it got into when the hobby really took off yeah. in like 86, when they overproduced everything, yes. you know, you're buying like, you can you know, still
2: buy those. By the I, way. I, know, like, I know. I, still I mean, buy 87 it, tops. It was the, crazy. The Bo- the yeah. yeah. And so you had, and, and
5: they had a lot of good players in yeah, that yeah. year too. So we did that and, and, and that, that, that kind of, kind of crashed. But then upper, when upper deck came in 89, oh, yeah. they had the Ken Griffey Jr. So that was kind of like the, the, the big deal, uh, for that card. Is and that, I, I have one, um, Uh, graded 10 that I just keep for a souvenir.
2: I mean, I'm not like, you know, trying to trade cards anymore. Have you ever met Ken Griffey Jr.?
5: I have not, but he's a Florida resident.
2: So uh, that card that you're talking about, anybody who has ever collected baseball cards, 1989, upper deck, first ever set they made. For people who don't know, number one card was Ken Griffey Jr., do you remember opening up the packs and how exciting that was? Because they were so
5: much nicer than the tops Infinite at the time. Because they yes. were glossy or whatever. But I'll tell you, it was hard to pull a Griffey, man. Yeah. I mean, like, I remember doing packs that up, and they were much more expensive than tops yeah, packs. They were, yeah, they were exactly right. You could do right. 10, 15 packs, and you could get, like, nothing good. I yeah. mean, that was kind of the big, the big problem with, you know, I look back at, at my childhood and I just say, you know, why did you not buy 86 Fleer basketball and just squirrel some of that away? I mean, imagine, like, if you just would have done, you know, four You're or five about boxes. PSA 10s, yeah. the
2: Jordan rookie card for people out there, in the 86 Fleer, and there are tons of great rookie cards because they had a couple of years where they didn't do basketball cards. Did you have any of those at all? Because I didn't no, as a kid No, in fact, have
5: I don't remember even seeing them, and that may have been a little bit before I liked basketball. I kind of got into basketball yeah. once Jordan started winning the of slam course. dunk contest yeah. and stuff. But um, you know, it's a type of thing, if you just have an unopened box of 86 Fleer, it's over $100,000, yeah. I think, it goes for. So, I mean, it's like. It's unbelievable. Like, but, and that's actually one of those, because I've seen people open them. You will get a bunch of Jordans, you know, in, in that box. So you There's just not that many And then the thing is, is it's like, you know, you have you have the Jordan rookie, which is obviously the top. But, I mean, you know, you had all these other guys, Olajuwon, like all the. Yeah. I mean, it was like a
2: lot of really good players with their rookie cards. You said you still have the PSA 89 yep. uh, number one card, the King Griffey Jr., are there any cards that you don't own now that, just based on nostalgia, you would like to own?
5: Oh well, you know, I um, um, at one point I think I think I traded it away. I had a Nolan Ryan rookie yeah. in 1968 tops, and I just you know just because he's just the man, and that, yeah. that was pretty cool to have. Uh, I don't think I, I mean, I liked it as a kid, but like now looking back, I'm like, man, you should have just kept that. Yeah. Like that, that's a that's a good one. And then. Um, you know, we did. Um, I actually did a lot of stuff with 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 Tiger. So I got a lot of Tiger r- rookie cards. Yeah. Um, you know, and those have those have held value pretty good over Tiger the years. Tiger Woods, you're yeah. talking oh, about? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. When the golf came out. Um, I should have gotten more into some some football back in the day. Yeah. I didn't really do that. It was kind of baseball. Um, I, we started to do a little bit of basketball in the 90s. I don't think any of that's worth very much. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but I kind of wish I would have done some football. I have done, just since I was a kid, just for kicks, like we've done um, – I think it's like 81 Tops football with yeah. Montana's rookie. Oh, yeah. So I've actually gotten Montana rookie cards like, as, you an, went adult. Bought it as yeah, an adult. as an adult. Yeah, I mean, this is probably like 15 years ago. Where did but you buy it? It like, was at like it? one of the – It's just at like a sports uh, show or yeah. something. Like there happened to be one in town or something, so I'd go. And I don't know how much it costs, but you get it. And, like, I mean, I got some Montanas. I mean, <laughs> like, cool. you know. So, yeah, no, it's a neat thing to we, do.
2: We did uh, – because my boys are getting old enough now. They're 15, 12, and 8. We bought the 87 set that you're talking about, the top set. with The, wooden, the, wooden, the wooden cards, wooden background. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're massively overproduced, but we opened them with my boys. Have you gotten old cards and set around? Like, that's actually really fun because it's almost like you're going back in time because you see the card today, but you also remember being a kid. And, like, for instance, we pulled... Uh, the Bo Jackson Future Star card. That's right, that, 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 was a, that was a good one, yeah, So yeah. I was still excited yeah. as a 40-plus-year-old guy because it took me back to remembering when I was eight or nine years old, and my kids thought it was super cool. They have Barry Bonds. Like, there's a lot of good cards, even though that set was massive. Yeah, no, it was a lot of great plays.
5: Um, so my son, he's five, but for Christmas, he was four. So, you know, I got him a lot of stuff. I did get him some cards, he kind of liked it, yeah. but didn't get in. So I think he probably needs another year. Right. But I mean, he got into, I mean, he was so into football season and all that. We went, I took him to the Jags Chargers playoff game yeah. in Jacksonville. Oh, that was a good one. Well, because I was just yeah. thinking to myself, I'm like, look, I'm a Bucks fan. I grew up in the Tampa area, Brady, but Brady's going to retire. The Bucs yep. aren't going to be as good. Jags have a young quarterback. Trevor Lawrence is a so star. if my son's getting into sports, if he's getting into football, he can follow the Jags. So he did it. And that was a great comeback. And so he had a good time. So then I'm like, all right, well, they're playing the Chiefs. He's like, can we go? I was like, it's not in Jacksonville, it's in Kansas City. He's like, oh, so I ended up taking my my six and five. Oh, I saw you guys I,
2: walking around. Yeah, on the, we, yeah. So
5: we took him to Arrowhead. Yeah. And so that was the first time I'd ever been to Arrowhead. And I'll tell you what, um, it's at loud as, as heck. I mean, it's a great yep. stadium. And you know, it was, you know, the Jags played him pretty good because Mahomes got got hurt. But you know, when they lost, I mean, I'm carrying my four year old son. He's crying, uh, leaving Arrowhead. He was so, so disappointed. So I think he's gonna need, but anyways, so so he was so into football. Watch the Super Bowl, everything. Then that next weekend, we took the kids to the Florida State College home opener for baseball. Yeah. And just like that, it was all baseball all the time. Yeah. So he's now in, he's the youngest kid in the coach pitch. So he's graduated well, from because cool. yeah. you know I pitched yeah, to him. Yeah. And so we, we were out there the other day for his first game, and like, you know, I didn't know how he was gonna do. And the coaches and then they're not like underhand, the coach will yeah, just kind of yeah. do that. And he's just cracking them because he's, you know, he's used to doing that at home. So it was good. So I think, I think maybe this Christmas he
2: probably will get into baseball cards a little bit better. Uh, the coach pitch, there's so much stress on the dad. I know. You know, because you've got to throw a good pitch. And you only get, I've, I've coached, you only get six pitches. Yeah. So you got four or five and, and they're not very good or they haven't swung yet. You get to six and you make them have to swing. I've been in games where they've had to pull the dad because the dad is like, like it, it, it gets in his head, and the dad can't it, throw. It gets strikes. in your head. It's
5: just like it's just like the catcher on Major League That's Two. He right. couldn't throw the ball That's back right. to the pitcher. When the, you have in baseball, you have the mental blocks. But I, I was doing underhand with yep. him and hitting, and then this league was that, and he likes the overhand yeah, yeah. better. So Sometimes I don't, I don't I don't, do, see I don't overhand. do overhand. I don't do underhand anymore.
2: Uh, speaking of the Baseball Hall of Fame, I, I'm curious what you think because you played baseball at Yale. Shohei Otani. Is he the most underrated, underdiscussed baseball player of a modern era? Because I look at what he's doing and the numbers are off the charts. He's basically, the reason why I was thinking about it so much is I took my kids and we're standing in front of the old Babe Ruth you yeah. know, jerseys and everything else. He's basically Babe Ruth. And I feel like we're underrating and under discussing how incredible he is.
5: Yeah, I mean you know whenever I'm asked about who the GOAT in baseball is, I always say Ruth. And yeah. you know, you can argue like, you know, Willie Mays, you know, maybe Ted Williams the best hitter, all this, and I say, look. Ruth was the greatest home run hitter of his era, one of the best ever. But he was also one of the yeah. best pitchers of right. his era. He just They just decided to move him to outfield once he went to Yankees. But, I mean, this guy was a Hall of Fame pitcher, too. And to do both of those, now Ruth kind of, he started to hit. And then once he started to hit, he stopped pitching. Otani is doing both yep. right now. Um, and I think he is the, the top star in baseball because how the hell do you do that? Um, no one's been able to do that at that level in baseball history for the last
2: 100 years. If you had had an opportunity to play minor league baseball, you went on to graduate from Yale, went to Harvard for law school. You've obviously been very successful. You're running for president of the United States, kind of a big thing. Right. Would you have ever gotten into politics? If you could. So, have here, had a so this
5: is the truth. So, you know, I would have done play baseball as long as I could. But I, I knew like, you know, that, you know, division one base college players like ninety nine percent. Like if you look at all the little league kids who start out, yep. you're in the top one percent. But but to get the to big leagues, that's like the top point one right. or whatever. And there's just a big difference there. So I was realistic about that. But what my plan on doing law school was to try to do baseball on the business side in the front office or something oh, like yeah. that. But then 9 11 happened. And so then I ended up joining the Navy and I I felt a calling to serve. I wanted to volunteer. So I served in Iraq, I served in all these places. And then that just kind of took me in a different path. But had that not happened, I think I would have gone into baseball um, and been involved uh, on that side of the house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's
2: a multiverse out there where you never go into politics and instead go straight into the the
5: front office side. I think so.
2: Um, That leads us into I'm curious what you thought about this. The All-Star Game got pulled out of Atlanta. I bet you had pretty strong feelings. Hank Aaron was going to be honored. They decided to move it out to to Denver. Now there's talk that Rob Manfred is going to bring the All-Star Game back to Atlanta. Because now they've acknowledged. Remember, they pulled it because Joe Biden came out and said, this isn't Jim Crow. This is Jim Eagle. And now there's a recognition. Oh, by the way, more people voted in the 2022 midterms in Georgia almost ever before. By far. Yes. The data reflects that that was all a lie. Right. Do you think Rob Manfred, you're a baseball guy, I'm a baseball fan. Do you think Rob Manfred should apologize to Braves fans and say, hey, we got this wrong and that's why we're yeah, bringing yeah, you all Yeah, I start- mean, exactly.
5: Yeah. What, what is wrong with just admitting that? And what Major League Baseball did, they responded to a fake narrative. That's right. The Democrats lie, the corporate press amplifies the lie, there becomes a frenzy, and then people just genuflect to that. Yes. And that's not responsible. You have to look to see whether this is truth or not. And that's why a lot of those companies, Coca-Cola, or whatever, a lot of people were not happy with them. That's Because right. like, look, if they really did do Jim Crow 2 as a corporation, speak out against it. I mean, that's fine. But that was a lie. Yes. This was, uh, this was very common sense stuff. It was not targeted at anybody. And as you say, the elections that have happened since then, there was massive turnout. And there is zero, right. zero truth to that. But we, if you had read the bill at the time, you knew it was a lie then. Which is what and Brian so, Kemp
2: said. Yes. And he told Rob Manford that. He's come on yes. my radio show and said, I told him you're buying a, a false bill of goods here. I just wish there was accountability in some way, right? I think sports fans and, and Americans in general, if he came out and said, hey, I got it wrong, then I think people would respect it more. Yeah, And well, instead, he's just going to pretend he never said it.
5: But also accountability for, from the media, like yeah. they will never admit a mistake. But I mean, that was a, a false... Narrative, right? Uh, And it was knowingly false because if you had done any research, you would have known that that wasn't true. And yet they paired it, parroted it, paired it, create a narrative. Oh, some time out Georgia, you can't vote or whatever. That's right. And that was an absolute lie. And that's just what they do.
2: And speaking of absolute (laughs) lies, this is a good this is a good segue. I want to read a couple of quotes to you. Uh, Kamala Harris uh, has come after you uh, over uh, what she is saying is flawed reporting. Uh, Sorry, uh, the new rules for how to teach history in Florida. And I'm reading directly from her Twitter account. In the state of Florida, they decided middle school students will be taught that enslaved people benefited from slavery. They insult us in an attempt to gaslight us, and we will not stand for it. That's the vice president, Kamala Harris. When you saw this, when you hear this, what's your reaction?
5: Well, obviously, she's lying, but then you know that there is going to be corporate press that are going to run with that and right. try to create a narrative. Now, there's actually been some that have pushed back because it's so egregious. Interesting, you know, when we got rid of critical race theory a couple of years ago, we, in the bill that we did, we said you must teach accurate history, you must teach about racial discrimination, you must teach about all aspects of African American history because right. we believe in true history. The left and the media at the time was saying, Florida doesn't want to have any, any, any African American history. So the standards that were developed, these are black history scholars, many of whom were African American themselves. They worked on this. There's like, I mean, it's very, very thorough and it is every little uh, aspect uh, of not just slavery, but but the uh, black experience in America from colonial times to the beginning. No one can read those and think somehow that they are shilling, uh, yes. for the, I mean, it's ridiculous. So everybody knows that, but she said that there was, they said there was not gonna be any black history. Now they're saying that somehow this is not not accurate. And the reality is, um, you know, they're lying again, they're creating a narrative. But you know, you actually had some of these guys go on TV, yep. um, you know, one of them is an African American scholar And he's like, everything we did here is factual, it's truthful, we are not doing an agenda, we're just telling the truth. And I think the reason why Harris and Biden and the left and the media react is because what they see we're doing in Florida is we've kneecapped their ability to use American history to advance their modern-day agenda. That is not the appropriate use of history. So they're doing that now. They're saying, "Oh well, there was a provision in there that say somehow this was good." No, it's not what it says. What it says was that there were slaves that developed skills, which they did, but that was in spite of slavery. That right. wasn't because of slavery. And then they used those skills post-bellum uh, to be able to provide for themselves and their families. And so this scholar who's been on TV, you know, he said. That's my history. Like like, I'm not gonna let Kamala Harris erase my history.
2: Like that's true, and that's what happened. Do you think she is making a decision to intentionally lie? Or do you think she's lazy and hasn't done her research here? Or do you think this is just I'm curious about that? She obviously is not
5: doing any research. She hasn't read the standards. She was given this probably by an aide. Uh, she probably knows that, given the fact of how these standards came into being, right. you know these are serious people that developed them. They were vetted. You actually have teachers unions now, left-wing teachers unions, attacking it. But the unions were involved in, in this, and they they were complementing it as it was going on. It was it was done in the open for many many months, yep. and no one said anything. And so then they figured, well, maybe we can demagogue and do it. So so they know exactly what they're doing. But look. The Biden-Harris administration, they've been obsessed with Florida since the day they took office. Anytime they can come and think about it, she flies at taxpayer expense to go down to Jacksonville to demagogue the good work of these people who are not like my supporters. These are are serious scholars. Um, She's not going to the border to deal with that, that's supposed to be her issue. And yet we have tens of thousands of Americans dying from fentanyl. We have kids being human traffic and sex traffic. She doesn't deal with any of that. She's not dealing with anything on the economy. She's coming down to Florida to try to demagogue. And the thing is, is people know the drill by now. They know kind of this is what they do. uh, And I think most people just dismiss it at this point. So
2: she's selling this false bill. Do you feel like as you're running for president, that if Biden runs, well, maybe I'll start here. Do you think Biden will actually be the nominee in 24?
5: I think he wants to be. And I think if if he can drag himself up, then, you know, as the incumbent president, they can't just take it away from you. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the issue. And, um, and, he's, and unless he goes willingly, I think he will be the nominee.
2: Okay. So if he's the nominee, I think Nikki Haley came out and said she's running, obviously, as a Republican primary contender as well, that she feels on some level like she's running against Kamala because she thinks Biden will step down and Kamala Harris will be president. Do you think they've worked through that? Do you think if Biden were reelected in 24 with Kamala as his VP, that Kamala would end up president at some point? Well, I mean,
5: look, you have to look at what's the uh, average mortality rate in the United States. Biden will be 82, I think, when he's... So, I mean, he's already passed normal life expectancy. So it's not like that would be an unforeseen thing. And I think the American people should know, um, if you're voting for, for Biden, You know, you are effectively voting for Harris to likely be the president of the United States over the next four years. There's just a good chance that that happens, given given those uh, those actuarial uh, tables. And uh, as bad as Biden's been, uh, I think a lot of people would view Kamala as even worse. if that's possible.
2: No, I think there's some truth to that. So speaking on Biden for a minute. Uh, I'm sure you've seen the revelations in the last week or so, which are significant. We had double IRS whistleblowers testify that essentially Hunter Biden got a sweetheart deal, uh, that the FBI, an agent, came out under oath and said they knew the laptop was real. Uh, Argument uh, that the FBI was tipped off that Burisma had paid millions of dollars to both Hunter and Joe Biden potentially to get a uh, prosecutor fired in Ukraine. We also, uh, on top of all that, now have Hunter Biden's uh, uh, art selling for $1.3 million. Okay, you were been involved in impeachment before when you were a congressman. It seems to me on many levels that they impeached Trump for asking about what Biden was doing. Should Kevin McCarthy, in your mind, and the House Republicans open an impeachment inquiry into Joe Biden? Is that justified based on the allegations that are out there?
5: There's way more basis to do Biden than they had to do Trump. I mean, the Trump was very flimsy. Yeah. They went ahead, guns blazing. Biden, you're talking about really significant corruption at stake with him and his family. And it also raises the issue apart from that, because I do think one of the issues is people see Kamala waiting in the wings. And I don't know if the Senate would convict him, but they like, are we really trying to yeah, do right. the path? So, so that helps Biden because she's good impeachment insurance for him. I mean, it's, that's he just- he actually
2: had a really good VP, yes, there I mean, would be maybe yes, more- Yes, yeah, no,
5: no. So so there's that. But what this shows with all the whistleblowers you know, this weaponization of these agencies. You know, on the one hand, it's like, okay, there's parents going to a school board meeting in Virginia, let's sick the FBI And That's clearly an abuse weaponization. Yes. But the flip side of that is when you're connected to the ruling class, the DC ruling class, you know, you get away scot free with stuff. Yeah. So many things should have launched a really serious inquiry. And it's like, okay, you know, you're going to go guns blazing on, on some of these offenses yep. against people you don't like, like a massive investigation. in this, Did you even send a subpoena out? Did you ever even go to a grand jury? I mean, it's kind of like with Hillary. You know, one of the things that bothered me with Hillary was not just the decision, which I disagree with, not not to go. Comey said no reasonable prosecutor. That's not true. They never impaneled a grand jury, they never did a search warrant. They let Hillary's staffers look at the emails. And so, you know, the weaponization is, you know, if they don't like you, they'll get you for
2: jaywalking. But the flip side is, you know, if you're on the team, you get out of jail free. So that builds on, I, I wrote about this, because I'm fat, you and I are basically the same age. Washington Post, New York Times, whatever you think of Bill Clinton, they went after him guns blazing right. over Monica Lewinsky. Right. Certainly Watergate was before you and I right. were born, but they went after Richard Nixon, and you lived through what they went after with Trump. Why do you think so many people, Washington Post, New York Times, the allegations I just ran through, they're far more significant than the allegations I think against Trump or against Clinton, even back to Nixon. Why do you think they're giving Joe Biden such a fair pass?
5: Well, I I think what happened was, you know, under with Clinton, the the press was liberal, but they they did want stories and they wanted facts now we're in an era of narrative journalism so it's all about what narrative they can spin and so the russia collusion you know while those allegations quote unquote yeah if someone was colluding with a foreign country to that steal like that'd be significant yeah. but there was never a basis for it right. and so and they knew there was never a basis for it and they would launder anonymous sources to try to keep the feeding That's frenzy right. going and it was like, and the whole idea was to basically mobilize the intelligence and law enforcement federal communities against the sitting president or the aspiring president than the sitting president. And so it's just a massive abuse of power. So I think that their behavior in that really, I think, showed who these people are now, because not only were they furthering the false narrative, They turned a blind eye to all the abuse uh, that was going on and they never cared about that. So what they're doing with Biden is just a continuation. They want their narratives. This does not fit their narrative. Uh, because they want to focus on Republicans and all this other stuff. So I think it actually flows from how they behaved in Russia collusion, um, because if Russia collusion, if the shoe were on the other foot, they would have never
0: given that story a time of day. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. and Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years, and not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular,
3: the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call.
6: Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of challenge champion. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your
2: podcasts. You mentioned media narratives. You're involved in a big media narrative. It's who's going to be the next president of the United States. How do you think the media is treating the Ron DeSantis campaign?
5: Oh, well, look, and I'm not complaining about this. I mean, I think it's actually somewhat of a good thing. You know, they they do not want me to be the nominee. I mean, that's very clear. Why do
2: you think they don't want you to be the nominee?
5: They know I'd beat Biden, but I think even more importantly than that, they've seen what I've done in Florida to transform the state. And they're like this guy would actually get this stuff done, yeah. and they don't want to see that. They don't want to see things like the administrative state unravelled. They don't want to see conservative policy implemented in any way. They don't want to see you know me fix the military. All these things that are really important, the border. They don't want any of that. So they know that, um, and I think that that's there. So so their narrative is to try to ding me, and I think that's been the case. They've they've tried to take me out for years, starting with COVID. I mean it would that was relentless, yeah. And uh, you know we just stood strong on that, and and basically you know, wrote it out. But then really, as soon as I won re-election so big, they're like, oh my gosh, this guy, we got to deal with him. I mean, it's been, you know, constantly negative since then for sure, even leading up to this. And now it's, you know, whatever you do, it's like, oh, you know, this or that. So um, it's a sign of strength because if they didn't see me as somebody who was a threat, they would ignore me. They would not be so fixated. And I've been attacked by corporate press uh, this year more than Biden has or more than Trump has in terms of their narratives. I mean, I've been the number one target on that. And I think, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, there's a create static. And so you don't want that in a campaign on the one hand. On the other hand, our voters do know, you know, who, who are their enemies? Yeah. One of their enemies is the corporate press. And if I am the one that the corporate press fears, that will help me in the eyes of these voters.
2: Another guy who's gotten attacked a lot. You mentioned COVID, RFK Jr. You guys would disagree on a lot across the policy perspectives. I think you would agree on a lot associated with COVID. Um, You got ripped front page article in the Sunday New York Times about COVID. My argument, my argument. Which was
5: just bizarre. I mean, like literally, they admit in the article, Florida had lower- uh, age-adjusted mortality yes. than the national average. They omitted, which they should have put, we had the lowest excess mortality in the Sun Belt, including less excess mortality than California. So that's just on the health stuff. Uh, and then what about economy, education, quality of life? Clearly, they don't even wanna discuss those because we were totally off the charts on all of that. And they try to hit me on saying, I wasn't forcing the vax on young people. Yeah, I was not doing that, because it wasn't the right thing to do. They didn't need it. They didn't need it. And in some of them, we now see with the young men, myocarditis and all this stuff. So what they are attacking me for actually would have been bad health policy. Um, And it's an inappropriate role of government to try to push this on people. So we were right on that, and especially when you had the, you know, the vaxes rolled out and in Florida it was always voluntary. Um, you know, a lot of people thought it was working for, for the first four or five months, yeah. right? And, and I thought it was because COVID did go down in like May and June of 2021. Then you have this massive wave across the South, the Delta. Yeah. Those vaxes did not stop that wave. And there were enough people that had taken it. So at that point, you got to look at that and say, OK, how are you going to do? So we focused on treatment in Florida. I was rolling out these monoclonal antibody clinics, whatever, giving people yep. the ability to get treatment. Um, that was a departure from the narrative as well. And I got attacked for doing that uh, at the time. So their narratives on COVID, they were so wrong on almost every issue and the thing is, is like it's fine, you're wrong, but you go to some of these deep blue cities, you will still see people walking outside with masks on. It's now look, it's it's yeah. a it's a free country, if that's what you like, but I can't help but think these people have had this put into their head that unless they're wearing a mask outside, that somehow they're gonna get COVID and die. And that's not true.
2: I was just on a college campus. My my oldest son is at the University of Michigan doing a summer camp. I couldn't believe how many young people, teenagers and 20-somethings, were still wearing masks. When you see somebody who's a teenager or 20-something wearing a mask, what do you think?
5: I mean, honestly, I just shake my head. But, but there's a reason they're doing it. Somebody has put that into their head yeah. that that's something that is going to be beneficial to them. And it's not. When COVID hit Florida, um, you know, we had you know, the kids came back to school or whenever the, for the universities July, August of 2020. And I put out the, the, the edict. Yeah. Don't touch their social lives. Don't social distance these kids. Let them be kids. Oh, some of them are going to get COVID. Yeah, you know what? They are going to get COVID. You're going to see. It, you're going to see it spike. You're going to see it go down. There's going to be immunity, and none of them are going to end up in the hospital. And that's exactly what ended up happening. But in the places where they tried to circumscribe people's freedoms, it was bad for kids' mental health, yes. for their academic achievement, for their social development. And I developed a following in Florida with a lot of the college kids because they're like, you saved, our, you saved our experience. And it's true. Well,
2: not only that, also high school. You and oh, I talked yeah, yeah. when I was doing the Kick the Coverage show. You said, not only are we going to open up schools. I remember when you came yeah. on the show. You said, kids are going to be able to play sports. And I think this is so important because you know, you, 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 you went to school. You know how many boys in particular stay in school so they can go play on a yes, sports team. Yes, exactly. If they don't have that coach. They don't have that figure. Yeah. They don't have yeah. that structure. fall apart you've seen that happen now all over the country because the new york times while they're also ripping you for covid also will have a front page story hey learning loss is not gotten recovered from all the schools that were shut down for so long and so what i think is an interesting part about this is they rip you but you actually read the studies yourself exactly you actually did the research and so many other politicians just listen to the experts and i want to give you a thesis here and see whether you buy it What I saw happen that I found so infuriating was you would have somebody who's a CDC official, let's say, the Dr. Fauci's of the world, uh, the the Rochelle Walensky's. They would come out and give you a guidance. And then a politician would say, well, I'm going to follow the guidance of the experts. And then when the experts like Fauci get called on it, they say, well, we never called for schools to shut down. So you have a circle where no one accepts responsibility for the decision. My thing is you're elected as the governor you're the ultimate decider in the state of Florida, right? That's how the Constitution works. Right. But so many politicians out there pointed to the, uh, the, the so-called experts who got everything wrong. The experts said, we didn't do it. The politicians did. And it's like there's never been consequences or a reckoning for all those people who got all those things wrong. Well, that's the
5: thing. I mean, you know, I'm in a situation where you elect me to be the executive. You elect others in other parts to be the executive nobody elected Fauci, nobody elected these health bureaucrats. And so it's fine to confer and listen to what they're saying, but you ultimately have to make the decision. And I started uh, when I was doing this, because like literally three, four weeks into COVID, I'm like, kids need to be in school. I don't know what's going on here. And Fauci publicly reprimand, you know, he attacked me yeah, saying, remember. oh, kids are going to get infected. And they're, they're- going to die. Yeah. And, and then I'm just like, well, wait a minute. I'm looking at Sweden. I'm looking at all this stuff. We're making a big mistake here. Um, and obviously, we, we we pivoted very quickly. Um, but, you know, so he, he's attacking and all this stuff. But I started looking back, Dwight Eisenhower's farewell address. A lot of people remember it, military industrial complex warning. And that's a great warning. Yeah. But if you read that, he talked about, kind of in the post-World War II era, you started to have this intermingling of federal money and scientific research. And he said, there's a danger given that power that public policy could be captive to what he called the scientific technological elite. And he warned against that, because he said the job of a statesman is not to subcontract out to those people. Job of a statesman is to like listen, but listen to all different areas and harmonize all that for the greater good. So someone like Fauci, he did not care about your freedom. That was not anything he cared about. He didn't care about the viability of your small business. He didn't care about your kid's education, the jobs, none of that. All he was myopically focused on was this one virus, which even if that was the only concern, he still failed with his prescription for that. But I'm sitting there saying, okay, wait a minute. These people have a right to work. They have a right to do all that. So yeah, when we, when we really pushed against him um, in the early part of COVID, I mean, I had the whole world come down on me, the corporate press, the left, the Democrats, a lot of Republicans even at the time were saying, you know, we were nuts, but I'll tell you, and I was, and I was getting hammered and I wasn't doing well and people said, oh, he's never gonna do politics anymore, he's done, right? <laughs> and then what happened, you know, a few months later, Florida was the place to be. It's like, okay, your, your life's not good wherever, Go to Florida. That was the first place people thought. And and we've never done better as a state as a result of that. But that would never have happened if I just said, and you know, it's the politically easy thing to do. Because you can say a business owner comes up to you saying like, hey, I want to open my restaurant. Well, they're telling me I can't. Trust me, I want you to do it, right? But they can't. So it was an easy way for them to
2: pass the buck. And that's just not the way leadership is. What do you think would have happened if Andrew Andrew Gillum had won in 2018?
5: Florida would be uh, like a New York or California or Illinois. There's no question. It would have been... It would have been a California, Illinois, New York style lockdown. The kids would have been out of school for the whole year because I know that because the teachers union sued me because they wanted the schools closed and we beat them. And now
2: Randy Weingarten is claiming that she always wanted it. I mean, that's one of the biggest lies out there. They
5: literally had a protest. and I think she was there, but there was a bunch of union people in Florida uh, where they were haranguing me, saying how dangerous it was. And the union would bring coffins and put coffins in front of the Florida Department of Education.
2: I was on on the beach in May of 2020. So when everything shut down, I said, screw it. I've got a place on 30A, which, by the way, one of the most beautiful places in the the United States, by the way. Maybe the best beaches, but we're full. Don't come down there. Um, And uh, I took my kids down there. And one of the guys who I think ran for secretary of state in Florida as a Democrat— was walking around dressed as a Grim Reaper. That's right. On the beach, yeah. literally while I was there with my kids on 30A, yeah. you know, hanging out and enjoying the sun. But to your point, they now all claim that they never said what they did. Wow. And here's what's frustrating to me, and I bet it's super frustrating to you. You at least won by 19 points. So that's a validation <laughs> yeah. of some point right. of your leadership. Not one Gretchen Whitmer got reelected, yep. Gavin Newsom got reelected. Uh, the only reason Andrew, uh, that Andrew Cuomo didn't get reelected was because of a sex uh, harassment scandal. It wasn't because of his failures with COVID. Mm. Not one incumbent governor lost in other than Nevada. Not one person actually bore the consequences of their poor decisions. If you got everything wrong on COVID and then your voters still voted for you, what does that tell us?
5: Well, look, I think some of that is the Republican Party dropped the ball in some of those races. I yeah. mean, that's just the reality. There's not not strong leadership. And it's just you got to to beat an incumbent governor. It's It requires funding. It requires right. a lot of stuff. And I don't know that they necessarily got that done. Uh, but I think part of it is in those states, the media gaslit. The media would portray this as necessary. So I think there was a resistance for some of these voters to admit that, All this was for naught. You know, wearing a mask for a year and a half was all for naught. Their kids being out of school was all for naught. I think that just by as a matter of human nature, they wanted to believe that that made a difference. And I think that was more of their inclination rather than. And some would say, "Fight you know, this was bad." But I do think there was some who were kind of following the guidance, doing that, and I think they wanted to believe that that it wasn't all for naught. And so by sticking with those governors, you know, that may be a way to, to acknowledge that, that, um, that, that they may
2: have been right to follow it. Rand Paul has referred Dr. Fauci for prosecution because he thinks he lied to Congress in particular. Of course he did.
5: I mean, are you kidding me? With the gain-of-function research, with all these different things, um, how they sent that money to Wuhan, what they did to try to cover up the lab leak— Because it was like, oh, it came from the lab. And then immediately Fauci's trying to hit it down behind the scenes, trying to say it was natural, because they knew that they got caught red-handed on this, and it was reckless behavior, and he's made statements. And so, and then, of course, it's like, where's the accountability for the damage you did to this country? And the fact of the matter is, Fauci was elevated to kind of be the de facto ruler where his pronouncements were viewed as like the gold standard. And so like, yeah, I was departing, but I mean, I got hammered for doing that. A lot of elected officials didn't wanna have to face that flack. And so he could go and say, school shouldn't be open and that was licensed for all these school districts to just close. In Florida, what I did, I used emergency powers, you know, the, the governors were using emergency powers to lock people down. I was using it to pry open the schools. And they, that's one of the reasons they sued me. They said, you don't have the authority to do this. And honestly, it was contested. Yeah. But I'm not just going to sit there and let these kids toil. So I'm like, I have authority. Here's what I'm going to do. You do. And I knew once the kids got back in, the parents would never let it close again. And so that, that's what we did.
2: If you were president, do you think Fauci should be prosecuted?
5: Yes. I mean, he, he's, he is guilty of lying before Congress. I mean, give me a break. Now, here, this raises an issue that, because that you, you know, when, I, when I look at kind of, you know, how do you get good policy to stick, whatever, what are, what are kind of the pressure points? One of the problems we have in D.C. is if you're part of the swamp, like they tried to do that guy, Durham tried to do that guy and prosecute him. He yep. got
2: acquitted. Because he has to he has to be in Washington, D.C. with an awful jury pool. D.C.,
5: right. So the D.C., that area jury pool um, is people like Fauci would be protected in that. That'd be a huge, huge hurdle. I'm not saying it's not justified to go ahead, but that'd be a huge turtle. Flip side, it's like. You know, you're a Republican, you're jaywalking. Oh, man, they're going to they're going to get you. They're going to go after you. So so that that and what I think what I've said that we should do is a defendant, American defendant in D.C. should have the right to remove the case to their home district. Oh, so like if they idea. tried to ding you, you can move it to Nashville. Right. And I get what is this Middle District of Tennessee yeah. or Northern District. Of so you could do that and then do it. And I just and think, by the
2: way, I think they're going to ding me for something. There you at some go. Point. You, never, you never, you never know. Right? I
5: know. You know that's it. Well, you know, if if, if I get elected, we'll end weaponization. <laughs> you don't have to worry about that. But yeah, they, they, yeah, that's the direction they're going. So you have, so you have a just an imbalance in accountability. Where if you want to hold the swamp accountable, man, they have the ability to nullify yeah. that accountability. Very, very
2: bad. So that brings in. We've talked about this. You come, on, you've come on Clay and Buck as well. So you have a. a, a strong knowledge of the Constitution, right? You graduate from Harvard Law School. Some people in politics really don't have that good of a knowledge. So Trump now is being prosecuted in New York City. He's going to have a super left-wing jury there. There's no doubt. Uh, He may well be prosecuted in Atlanta, going to be a left-wing jury in Fulton County in Atlanta. Uh, He is going to be prosecuted in South Florida now. It seems, and you probably know the data on this better than most, that that actually might be a fair jury pool. It, it, in terms I, I think
5: of- I think it will be. I think if it's in Fort Fort Pierce, St. Lucie County, I think I want it by twenty points. Um, so you will absolutely be able to have a fair representation. Okay, there. so
2: that's at least somewhat fair. DC would not be if Jack Smith's. D- DC is, there.
5: is the most unfair jury pool in America. Because Fulton County 70-30, yep. Manhattan's 80-20 or 85-15, DC's like 98 to two. Yeah, I mean, and especially when you're talking about anything related with the swamp, uh, that is not not fair. So that's why I think you remove that to home district. I think is fair. What we're going to do with the DOJ when I go and you know end weaponization, there's a lot of things you do, but one of the things we're going to do is also say, okay, what's our authority vis-a-vis some of these local areas? I think we're gonna do civil rights uh, against Soros prosecutors. Because if they're weaponizing their office to let criminals go, and to go after political enemies, that's a civil rights violation. You have a right in the Constitution to live under a Republican form of government. That's not a Republican form of government. So we're gonna lean in on those folks because I think those local prosecutors are a huge, huge problem. You know, the DOJ is a massive problem, but if you go in there and spit nails and you're willing to upset the apple cart, you can change the direction of that. You know, I I believe you can do it if you're a determined president. But these local folks, um, they get Soros cash, they get elected, and then they just run wild. And that's not the rule of law. What do you think happened to Merrick Garland? You know, it's interesting. I, because he, he
2: wasn't, for people out there who don't know, he wasn't a crazy zealot. Well, on that's the, the thing. The I mean, so I, DC, I look right? back
5: and think... He was always portrayed as a more moderate. Is that wrong? It probably was. Yeah. I mean, I think that if But you, his
2: rulings weren't like insane.
5: But right? he was but he was, an inferior court judge. He wasn't at the court of last resort. And what happens with these guys, once they get on the Supreme Court on the left, they kowtow to the right. intelligentsia, to the corporate press, to, to, to the law professors. And you look at how, so you have uh, Sotomayor and Jackson. They are like- like they could be on MSNBC with their nonsense. I mean, it is true. really yeah. scary. Yeah, um, you know, Kagan is very liberal, but she, I think, at least tries to be, um, you know, you know, at least grounded in her version of the law. The other two, it's all just political screeds. And so I think Garland probably would have been voting with them 100% of the time. That being said, I do think that he's become more partisan because of he didn't get the Supreme Court's position. I do think that
2: that's probably true. How does he, how do you think, so he is, you know, you went to law school, I went to law school. There are certain people who they love the law, right? I used to talk about, this is their highest aspiration. There's a lot of other lawyers, they go to law school, like I would put myself in this category. I love the education. I knew that I didn't want to practice law for the rest of my life. Merrick Garland is a love-the-law person, right? Like, he loves studying the law and everything else. I look at him and I wonder, how does he sleep at night? Because what he's done, they talk about how Trump or you or somebody else is going to be an authoritarian dictator, right, if you end up in power. Merrick Garland is trying to put the chief political adversary right now of his opponent uh Joe Biden Donald Trump in prison for the rest of his life we've never seen anything like that and we'll what have to what do see. you think what do you think like and it, I can't imagine being him like and making that choice because I'm afraid and I'm curious what you think is with this weaponization nobody de, de you know de-escalates if once you set the opportunity of of oh I can put my chief political rival in prison you're in Florida Like, there's so many people who fled to Florida to try to avoid that because it happens all over banana republics in Latin America. How does he sleep at night? Like, what's going on there?
5: Well, and I think, uh, you know, look, with this DC case, I mean, media's reporting, who knows whether there will be one, I mean, I don't know. But if there is, I think it's likely gonna be, they're gonna talk about everything that Donald Trump may have done, and they're gonna find some statute and stretch it to try to do. So if you're going back to like a reconstruction statute, like violation, uh, conspiracy against rights, they call it. Yeah. And you're trying to apply it to that. You know, here's the thing, no one's above the law. If, if somebody who's been in high office robs a bank, we know that's a crime. Yeah. You rob the bank, they prove it. You know, you have to pay the penalty. But when you contort like Bragg did the law to try to fit conduct against somebody you don't like, that's kind of find me the man and I'll, and I'll find you the crime kind of deal. And so, so, you know, if that's what's reported, I think these are gonna be charges that are not traditional crimes. In other words, they're more obscure and they're trying to be shoehorned in here because, you know, quite frankly, the left is crazy about this stuff yeah. and they, they wanna do it. And, and that's, we got it. so if you wanna have a, a good justice system that people have confidence in, uh, you will have straightforward criminal offenses and particularly in a pretty, uh, politically charged environment you will not charge novel offenses, given the dynamics that are at play, and I think he's thrown that totally overboard. And and we'll see if he's if he's doing and it. And that on here. could
2: mean that if you were president and they try to prosecute Trump, maybe before the election even happens, that you would look at that. I think you said on our show before you'd look at pardoning all the January sixth.
5: Well, my my view, I mean, with respect to like you know, do we really think it's good for the country to have an almost eighty year old former president in prison? Like, is that is that going to be good for us to come together? Yeah. Um, you know, and that's the thing. It's like. You know there is divisions in this society, but there is some uh, opportunity I think to, to to come together on some things. But it's like when, when all this is going on, that makes it very difficult. So um, you know I look back at like like Nixon pardoning Ford. He took a lot of heat for it, but I think it was the right decision to just move the country beyond right. that. And you know they could have tried to got a pound of flesh out of Nixon, and it wasn't that Nixon was above the law. It was just weighing how does that you know provide fissures to society you know f- for this. But. Um, it's a type of thing where in terms of ending weaponization, I think you know, wielding pardon power is definitely part of it clearing out the bureaucracy. I think, I mean, I'm one of the few, I think candidates that said definitively, we'll have a new FBI director on day one, 100%. Uh, We'll have an attorney general with a big, big, uh, strong backbone who's gonna fight all these people. We're gonna probably parcel out parts of DOJ. So, you know, you can send one part of it to maybe Tennessee or Arkansas or wherever, because there's so much power that's been conglomerated in DC. I think a lot of the people probably wouldn't wanna move to some of these places. So maybe it's more representative of America because we have in DC, Department of Justice, consolidated power, no oversight, no accountability, and 99% of them donate, the, the donations are Democrats. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, so you may even be uh, trying to uh, abuse your power, but some of these people, they just view, like, it's foreign uh, the way other people think. And that's very, very dangerous. Ford pardoned
2: Nixon because he was a statesman. Does Biden have any statesmanlike qualities? No, no, no. He would not
5: do that because his base would eat him alive. Uh, But
2: sometimes, don't you have to do what's right, even if you're- But I think what we've
5: seen with Biden, he will not cross the base, because he understands his hold on power is pretty tenuous, just given his ineptitude, given his senility and all this stuff. And so he basically is just going to deliver for the base, and he would open himself up to potentially getting driven out of office um, on 25th Amendment or something. So there is no way he would do that. And, um, and that's why, you know, the stakes of the election, for many respects, you know, were high, but I think there's a high probability that would be
2: out of the cards for him. Do you think if Hunter Biden's dad wasn't president, he'd be in jail?
5: Yes. Well, let me say this. If he were a Republican and he was not connected to D.C. <laughs> if C., it were Donald he, Trump he, Jr., he would, yes. Uh, of- yeah, I think for sure. And, um, uh, you know, that's the thing. He, the, the lack of zealousness with all this information yeah. You know, it's one thing. It's like, you know, if, if, if they go after you and him the same, yep. uh, then what are you going to do, right? But that's just not the way it is. I mean, they get very, very zealous
0: when it comes to people they don't like. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. and Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value.
1: Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep experts. <laughs>
4: Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: You mentioned Bud Light a minute ago. I know that Disney has been on the battleground with you, and I got a quote. I don't know if you've officially, I, I know that the campaign put out a video, but Bob Iger told CNBC, the notion that Disney is in any way sexualizing uh, kid children, uh, quite frankly, is preposterous and inaccurate. That's a quote from Bob Iger. Do you buy it?
5: Well, I mean, you saw they they opposed the bill in Florida to not have sexuality and gender identity in grades K through three. And not only they oppose it, when we stared them down and I signed it, they said it's gonna be our mission to see that it's repealed in the legislature of the courts. So they're devoting corporate resources. They felt so strongly about kindergartners being told that they may be born in the wrong body that they dedicated corporate resources to it. And then when that happened, those Zoom videos came out with those Disney executives saying They have an agenda to inject the sexuality in the youth programming. So that's just, that is evidence that everyone's been able to see. And look, the reality with that company is um, their own employees, by and large, sided with me in Florida. Yeah, Osceola County is where the majority of Disney employees live. I did better than any Republican has done in a generation. Usually a blue county, I want it by seven or 8%. Yep. Um, I did better in Orange County than uh, Republicans done in a generation and all the surrounding we did t- tremendous because you know, they are, they are employees of Disney because they believed in the original mission. Most of them believed in the original mission. And so it was not popular. I remember when they were, when they were protesting us on this, when the bill was coming up, there's like Disney's gonna do a big protest. So like you know, the Burbank people were out protesting. Yeah. Orlando, there were news, news crews with helicopters and there was like one guy and he had a mask on and he had like a sign that says like trans lives matter or something like that, yeah. like one guy. Yeah. And that just shows you. So they were way out of step with that. And I think it's hurt their company. I think there's no doubt. In terms of, in terms of what's happened with their share price, the people going to the parks, their, mo- their, their movies intentionally are trying to pursue an agenda, a social agenda in very different ways. That's not where the market is. The market wants you to do traditional stuff, yeah. and particularly for parents with children. I don't want to have to like watch it to, to you know, you uh, have to turn it off because they're trying to do a message. Used to be you watch the cartoons, they're cartoons. Yeah. And that's kind of like a safe space for parents. Now parents feel like even some of the trusted names of the past, you can't trust.
2: And you grew up in Florida. I'm sure you went to Disney World growing up sometimes. I know you got married, I think, at Disney World. We
5: got married. And the thing was, was, um, you know, I was, I was still in the Navy. Uh, my way in, 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 I was in, you know, Northeast Florida and I thought we would end up doing Ponte Vedra beach because you know, whatever. Yeah. And she came to my wife came to me one day. She's like, uh, what do you think about Disney? I'm like, what do you mean? What I think about Disney? She's like for the wedding. I was like, do they do weddings? Like you could do like Cinderella's sketch. She's like, no, they have a chat. And it actually is very yeah. nice. Her parents were big Disney people. Yeah. So they suggested it, and that's what they wanted to do. And so by we the way, did you it. were
2: getting married; you probably did not have a lot of say in many of the details. What I told
5: her it. is, I was like, "Look, this is your day. Yeah. Like, I am very low maintenance, but I am drawing the line. No Donald Duck at the <laughs> wedding. Like, we cannot have these characters." And it was a traditional. If you see our wedding pictures, yeah. it's a it's a church. Like, it's no no different than anything like that. So, you know, we did that, and. Um, so this is 2009. And then just thinking forward, like however many years later, yeah. 10, 15 years later, we'd end up in this uh, in this kerfuffle. Well, my, my
2: point on it is, there's this idea that you have somehow picked the fight with Disney. No. And, and I want to just emphasize this for our audience. You opened and fought to get Disney World open, like a year before Gavin Newsom was willing to open World. They Disneyland made a fortune
5: in Florida because, because of, of what you. We did, yes. Because you fought Absolutely. for them to
2: be able to run their Absolutely. business.
5: In fact, I remember... Um, Disney they could have even opened earlier. I was telling them to open. In fact, I told them not to close because they, you know, they, I didn't close them. They called me and yeah. said, "Hey, we're going to close in a few days." I'm like, "You know, I was like, I'm not that may be rash." I was yeah. like, "You may want to think this through, but that's what they wanted to do." And they waited long. They were more cautious. Universal SeaWorld opened like a month and a half before yeah. Disney did. But they 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 opened and then, you know, we had our first kind of summer COVID wave, and I remember the CEO called me. He's like, He's like, uh, you know, do you want us to stop? I'm like, no. I was like, we have to live with this, okay? We can't just run and hide. You have people's jobs at stake. You know, families want to come with their kids and all that. And so we did it. And um, and they they did very, very well. And I remember like throughout all that time leading up to the to the parents' rights and education debate, they would always say, like, Man, we wish we had you in California. You know, as that even like their Burbank executives, because it was like we were so reasonable, yeah. and we wanted them to succeed because we knew jobs were at stake and the economy and everything like that. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that they they had high regard for for me. And here's the thing: we have the best business climate in America. Our economy is ranked number one by CNBC, which is not a fan of mine, but they had they had yeah. to admit that. And so, them living under the same laws as Universal and SeaWorld, like good. Like, you know, you, you have a great chance to do well. And and, and they're just not, they, they don't want that. They want to have their own, their own uh, ability to govern themselves well, apart from society.
2: Well, what I think is so interesting about it, we were talking about narratives earlier is they threw the first punch at you. Of course. And now most in the media are like, why is Ron DeSantis going after Disney? Well, I mean, are you just supposed to take a punch? And well, not, not only anything?
5: that, but then this year, so we, we, we had the fight in 2022. We said, you know, your self-governing status yeah. is, is ending. You're, you're gonna, gonna live, be treated just you're like gonna live other under the same point. laws. You don't get special laws, special tax breaks. And, and that was just because the legislature, uh, the support for that collapse, it was outmoded. It was not justifiable yeah. on the merits. It was massive, egregious corporate welfare, but Disney had been so powerful that no one questioned it. So, so we did that. Then what happened was February of 2023, As the state is taking control, because you know our our board's going to have to wind it down, the bonds and all this stuff, Disney executed with itself these covenants saying no one can do anything, and so that was like a big middle finger to the Florida legislature. They're the ones that did that, and so then we said no, we're going to these are not valid. The board rejected it, the legislature rejected it, and so they're saying we're going after Disney, but they're the ones that tried to basically veto. A bill passed by the Florida legislature, and then Disney sued us and all that stuff. All that being said, you know, we won the battle on parents' bill of rights. Disney is not gonna get their government back, their own government back. And so we're gonna win on that lawsuit, and, and that'll probably be decided sometime uh this summer. Just a couple more
2: for you here. We'll finish off. I hope people have enjoyed this. This has been I think I bet you've kind of enjoyed sometimes getting to talk in a forum yeah. where you're not getting cut off. Um if uh you've now fired significant number of staff members two months into the campaign. Iowa's December uh, January 15th. How would you assess the status of your campaign? Do you expect to win Iowa on January 15th? Yeah I
5: think Iowa's great. I think what, what we realize on this is you know we had a campaign for a nationwide election which which will happen eventually, yeah. but that's not how the primaries are. So we're shifting resources to the early states. We don't need to have, you know, we don't need to be too top heavy in Tallahassee. So Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, you know, we're going to be spending the vast majority of our time in those three states. I think everyone would acknowledge Iowa. We have the best ground game by far right now. you expect to win in terms of Iowa. We're going to win in Iowa. I mean, like, we've got to earn it. I I mean, you know, if I I thought I had it in the bag, then I wouldn't. We we have to earn it. But I think we've got a great path there. And then New Hampshire, a little bit different than Iowa. But I think the voters in both of those states, they want to kick the tires. They wanna see you. And there'll be people that'll say like, oh, you know, what do you think of the governor? Well, you know, I like him, but I've only met him one time. And so like, that's what (laughs) you have to do. So we're gonna be on the ground. We're gonna be on the ground. Two days in Iowa this week and then four days in New Hampshire through the weekend and into the early part of next week. I think we're doing a town hall with Newsmax. We're doing a bunch of different things. But that's really is. It's it's a recognition that you want the resources applied where the delegates are allocated. At the end of the day, you're winning a majority of the delegates. That's the goal. It's not a nationwide
2: vote. It's a state-by-state vote. And you need to have an organization to reflect that. Number one question I get asked on our show, Clay and Buck walking around. People say, I want Trump as president. I want DeSantis to be his vice president. Your response when you hear that is what?
5: Would you take it if offered to you?
2: (laughs) I like the jobs that I got right now. There you go,
5: yeah. No, look, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, I'm running um, running for president to to beat Biden. Um, You know, I'm I'm reliable. I reflect the values of our voters and I will deliver on all this stuff. I've shown ability to do that in Florida. Um, Doing number two, I mean, it just doesn't appeal to me. And I don't think I would be good at it. And I think I'm probably um, you know, more valuable doing other things. But, you know, Some people run for president because they, they want a cabinet position or Veep or all that, yeah. I th- or TV contributorship. I'm not that. I don't want Veep. I don't want cabinet. I don't want to be on uh, you know, a contributor. Um, I'm running to win. And that's the only reason I'm running. And so we'll, we'll, we'll either do it or not.
2: I remember I asked you, I mentioned RFK Jr. earlier and the uh-huh. fact that you might overlap. If Trump picked RFK Jr. as a potential vice presidential candidate, crazy idea. If you were president, would you consider, if you, if you were the nominee, would you consider RFK Jr. as a running mate so or here, non- Here's
5: the non-show. issue like, like, I'm aligned with him on Fauci yep. and the corruption and the health bureaucracies 100%. And I think he's probably done, said some other things that I agree with too. But at the end of the day, you know, he's more liberal, very, you know, very liberal on some. I mean, he used to say, I don't know if he still believes this, that, you know, if you deny climate change, you should go to jail, things like that. So it's like conservative voters, you know, they, they would want those positions flushed out. And, my and you know, he opposed the affirmative action ruling to say, you know, you can't racially discriminate. Yep. Um, On that, he would have wanted that to to remain. So I just think at the end of the day, you know, you need somebody that's going to reflect the values of the broad coalition. Yes, the medical stuff, I'm very good on that. So that does appeal to me. But there's a whole host of other things that he'd probably be out of step with. And so on that regard, it's like, okay, if you're president, you know, sick him on the FDA, if he'd be willing to serve or sick him on CDC. Uh, but in terms of being veep, if there's, you know, 70% of the issues that he may be averse to our base on, you know, that just creates an issue.
2: You going to stick with the Bucks now that Brady's gone?
5: I will, but my son is... Uh, he's going to stay with the Jags. He's a Jags. And, you know, he also is interested in, in going to a Dolphins game at some point. So we're, I think Dolphins are going to be pretty good, too. Oh, they're going to be really so, good. So you're going to have you're going to have two teams that I think there's going to be a lot of excitement about. And I'll just grin and bear. Look, I was a Bucks fan when they had the orange uniforms. And so I don't know that they're going to do great next the year. The
2: pewter pants but, were good but back I, in the day. But I
5: don't think it's going to be as bad as, you know, going to that old sombrero and uh, having those, you know, those orange uniforms and then just getting their ass kicked. <laughs> By any team that rolled in there, and that, that's the 80s and early 90s. Until, until Tony Dungy came, it was basically really tough sledding, you yeah. know, most years for the Bucs. Then Tony kind of got him, and then Gruden came in and put him over the top for the Super Bowl, which was, that was an exciting thing. We never thought that would happen in Tampa, I can tell you that.
2: One of the big, last question for you, I think I said last question a couple of One of the challenges, I think, that you're probably finding when you're going out going around is people don't know you that well, right? right? They're trying, you mentioned people in New Hampshire actually wanna meet you more than one time, right. right? To decide. What do you wish voters knew about you that they don't?
5: Well, one, I mean, just my, my, my background is, you know, I'm a blue collar kid. My parents were working class. I worked minimum wage jobs to be yeah. able to get, get into school, do all that, put myself in a position to succeed. I ended up did, did earn degrees from Yale and Harvard Law School, but I made the decision that in a post 9-11 world, you ought, to, you ought to serve, you ought to wear the uniform. So I volunteered, volunteered to serve in Iraq uh, alongside SEAL Team 1 and do all these other things. And I think it's just when you're running for president, I think people want to know, it's like, OK, well, why are you doing this? Yeah. Is this about you or is it about us, the people? And I think my track record, kind of where I came from, my belief in the American dream and the, in my um, you know, uh, desire to restore it, a service to the country, I think they can look at it and say, you know what? This guy's in it for the right reasons. Um, he wants to do something. By running for president, he's not trying to be somebody by running for president. It's
2: Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. If people want to go, want to know more about your campaign, where should they go? Just go to our
5: website at uh, rondesantis.com, uh, rondesantis.com, and um, you can also text freedom to five one two three four five. Appreciate the time.
2: Thanks. Thanks for coming to
5: Nashville. Yep.
3: This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride.